share with you because it's a really powerful passage that we have today. But before we get into that, I want to share that when we lived in Washington, uh, one of the things that I miss about it, there's not a lot of things I miss about it. I miss the mountains that were close by in Idaho, but I also miss apple orchards. Every fall, we were able to go and we could go to these apple orchards and we would pick apples and you could make your own apple cider uh, and uh, I mean all these things and it was beautiful and and there's nothing like a fresh picked apple and I didn't know this till I went to Washington and we had some students and they they had an apple orchard and we're there and I was learning about how they cultivate all these different types of varieties of apples and how they grow them and that's where I began introduced to, to what is grafting. I, you know, you hear about it in the Bible, but I never knew what grafting was and, and how it actually works and how they're able to produce new varieties with these old stumps and, and something is beautifully produced. But there's something about a, a fresh apple, and you probably don't know this, but the apples we buy at the grocery store are like a year old. I don't know if you know this or not. Like the apples we eat like right now are probably from like a year ago and they go to these large warehouses and they're va- I, I don't understand it, but that's what they were telling us. I mean, they're, they're a year old. That's why they, sometimes they don't taste that great or they have that film on them or something like that. But a fresh apple is just delicious. And what I learned on these apple orchard farms is that they're able to produce sometimes these new fruits that come out of that. They'll have basically a stump there that's still good, and and they'll have this little bitty offshoot right there in the middle of this stump, and it's about this big, and they got all this black stuff taped around it, and they're like, yeah, in a year, that's going to produce fruit, as opposed to trying to grow a new tree from the ground up. There's something beautiful something intriguing, something I didn't fully understand, but it gives weight, this image, this picture that Paul gives us in his word today. You see, church, the gospel is full of beauty and surprises. And that's what Paul's getting at in this passage, that the gospel is full of beauty and surprises. It's easy to think that we have God figured out sometimes. We have them in our little box, and then all of a sudden something happens, and we're surprised. I mean, Jesus himself gives warnings in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. Not all who call upon me and say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And they'll say, but Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we serve people in your name? And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And then you can turn over to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew 22 and see this wedding feast where nobody has come, the invited guests haven't come, and the king says, go out to the highways and the byways and bring people into this place, to this feast. And someone had showed up in that parable who was not invited, and they were cast out. You see, that's what Paul is getting at, articulating this gospel that's full of surprises. And as he's articulating it in the book of Romans, he's communicating his gospel, the gospel he has received. But it's one full of surprises that it now has gone to the Gentiles, and he's still wrestling with this Jewish question that God has not given up on the world and he has not given up on Israel. Last week we saw that their response, the the Jews responded to the gospel in three different ways. They rejected it. It was their rejection. 
And because of their rejection now, Gentiles are included into this. But that one day in the future, there would be a full inclusion of Jews. And so what I want to do today is I'm by no means an artist at all. But I think it is helpful to to look at some pictures that I drew myself. So yes, don't laugh too much. But it was helpful for me to understand and to, to lay bare really what Paul is getting at. And, and again, it, it recaptures, it summarizes all that he's been sharing. And so we'll look at our first picture that I want to show you on the slides here, guys. So right here, this tree right here represents Israel. It's going to be blue throughout our other pictures right there. And we see and we know what we've discovered through the book of Romans, that God chose Israel. Among all the nations in the world, God specifically chose Israel. And more specifically than that, he chose one person out of all the people in the world to make that nation from, that he chose Abraham. He called Abraham out of the land of Ur, and then from Abraham and the patriarchs, we get the nation of Israel. And it's there that we see that Even Paul says in Romans chapter 9, the beginning of that, that to them belongs the patriarchs, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And what we see through all that is that that no matter what, that not even Pharaoh himself can thwart God's plan to bring salvation to the world. That Israel was to be set apart. And that's what we saw also, if you go to Deuteronomy chapters 28, in 29 and 30, as we'll see right here on our next slide. There we go. So what we see, if you go and read Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, it's there that we see that if the people of Israel, if they are obedient, they will experience the blessing, but if they're disobedient, there will be curses. But in chapter 30, it says, when all these things come upon you, that there would be blessing and cursing, that there would be this understanding that there would be a remnant, so to speak. A faithful remnant that, that because of sin, that Israel couldn't really keep the law perfectly. And that's what the law shows, that, that we're all separate, that we can do nothing to earn God's love. Deuteronomy 36 even says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. See, from the very beginning, there was this purpose of of God bringing forth salvation history. That God continued to work in Israel's history. And we see that there was a, a winnowing, a constant of a sifting of the people of Israel. Those who were disobedient were broken off until finally there was one who was the true Israel, who was the faithful one. And who is that? Jesus. That Jesus is the fulfillment, the perfect Israelite. And it's there that we see that Jesus is God in flesh, that the way we know who God is is through Jesus. That Jesus came to to be our Redeemer and Savior, that He is Lord of all. But you see, you can't find salvation outside 
of Christ Jesus. Paul had just said that in chapter 10. That there's not one path for those who are Jewish for them to get into to heaven if they keep the law good enough and there's another one for Gentiles. But Paul says there's only one way. That every tongue and every knee will confess and bow before the crucified Messiah. And it's because Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, his bodily resurrection, that fundamentally changed everything. And then from that point, we see this is how God has chosen to work in the world. To be a blessing to all nations. Fulfilling what we see, what God had promised Abraham. Are you tracking with me, church? The logic and what God is doing in this story. So what I want to do is, let's look at our text in verse 16 of Romans 11. This is what Paul says. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So what we'll see in our next image right here is that what God has done has been a part of his plan. That just because some have been broken off, it doesn't mean that God is scrapping that plan and and starting new. But in fact, what we see here is this faithfulness of God that is his promises. And because the stump is still a part of God's plan, it, it leads out to the branches. It leads out to everything else. The whole, if the root is holy, so are the branches. Here again, Paul is talking about his fellow brothers and sisters who are Jewish. About the promises, the patriarchs. If the root is holy, so are the branches. But then it says in verse 17 and 18, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So Paul knows. We have this cultivated olive tree, and in this next image that we're going to see here, church, Unbelieving Gentiles, we're this wild olive tree. And it's one of those things that, it was a vibrant tree. There's lots of Gentiles, lots of pagans. That's all of us, unless you're Jewish. We're all Gentiles, we're all pagans. And it was a a vibrant tree, but it wasn't probably producing any fruit. But it was strong. It had the nourishment. And all of a sudden, what we see in this image, in this illustration that Paul is using, that there are Gentiles now, who are finding their way back into this cultured olive tree. What's happened is some of these wild olive shoots were being grafted into this cultivated root, to this other tree that had some limbs broken out because of their unbelief. But what is not happening, and this was something that that likely was taking place in Rome, because if you remember in the chapters we've already talked about, that the the discord between Jews and Gentiles, if you go read Romans 14 and 15, what was taking place? There was a lot of conflict. You see, this 
wasn't a plan B. God wasn't doing something new, as our next image will show. That sometimes what was likely taking place there in Rome is that, hey, God's done this new thing among us Gentiles, and he's done away with all this stuff that has to do with Judaism and the Jews and everything else. There's actually a new plan, and it begins with us. Because you see, in Rome, there were Jews that had been kicked out of Rome. And then finally, they got to come back a few years later. And these Jews come back, and they find out that all these Gentiles are the ones who are likely in control of these little house churches there. They had the power, the authority, and probably the money. And there's conflict. There are these Jewish believers who are judging Gentiles, and there are Gentiles who are judging Jews. But what Paul is saying in this point is that God doesn't have a plan B. There's always just been one plan from the very beginning. There's been one plan of salvation history for the entirety of the world. God has not forsaken Israel. Israel hasn't been cast aside. But in fact, as what we'll see in this next image, is that God has taken those Gentile branches, those offshoots, those Gentiles who have accepted the gospel. And he has grafted them into this cultivated olive tree that had these broken Jews that were cut off for their unbelief. And there were still believing Jews. Paul himself was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But you see, it's this root, this root of nourishment that he goes on to say, but it's these promises of God. There's one story. And these Gentiles now are to find their story in the story of God and what he has done in the world. Then if we look at verse 19, it says this, and you will say, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. There's a coincidence. It was, it was their rejection that then Gentiles had been brought into this. Paul says that is true. They are broken off because of their unbelief. The only thing that has kept them out from experiencing salvation is that they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is that they reject Jesus as the Messiah. But he says, but you stand fast through what? Faith. Now the only thing that has brought Gentiles into this thing that God has done is faith in Christ Jesus. And the only thing that can keep you out is unbelief. It's unbelief. So Paul says, do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you, that you don't need to be haughty or arrogant in your newfound salvation. In fact, God is saying, I will do whatever I need to do to bring people to know Christ. And part of that plan was for some of those within Israel to reject the gospel so that it could be then go to the Gentiles. And because of that, there will be a jealousy that grows among those in Israel that there will be one day a full inclusion. A powerful picture. One that we can see once again of this beautiful thing that God has done. 
I mean, isn't that beautiful that our story is part of God's story? That we are connected, that we are, we are, get to experience the benefit, the, the blessing to all nations. But it's through faith in Christ Jesus that we become grafted into a much larger story. Then in verse 22, it says this. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? If you look at our last picture, I want to show you. You see, Paul is using an image and a metaphor that, as he says, is contrary to nature. Because no right-thinking person in that time would have taken an olive tree that wasn't producing a lot of, that was dying, wasn't a lot of life, or at least it didn't appear like there was a lot of life into it, and then put just wild olive shoots into that cultivated one. In fact, you would take some from the cultivated one, and then you would go graft it into this wild olive tree because it has so much vibrancy. But Paul says that's not what God is doing in this point. He's actually taking these wild olive shoots and he's grafting them in to this other tree. Because actually the stump and the root of this other tree is so powerful that it is the promises of God. And there as we see in verse 22, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, those who don't believe, in other words, and kindness to you. See, when Paul's talking about kindness and severity, it's really getting to the heart of God's love and God's wrath. Something we don't like to talk about in church very often. And you see, I, I just want to say a few things about the kindness and the severity of God. You see, God is love. It's an attribute of who He is. I mean, it is His character. Wrath, the wrath of God is not an attribute of God. So track with me. Wrath is not an attribute of God, because if wrath was an attribute of God, God would be either A, a moral monster causing evil in the world, or duplicitous, that he would be both love and wrathful, two sides of the same coin. And, and how do we know, how can we trust a God who is both a God of love and a God of wrath? You see, wrath is an expression of God's love because of sin. Because of sin, wrath exists, and it was on the cross where God's love overcame his own wrath towards us. Because sin, because God is holy, we had to be separated from God. And it was, as that song sang, the searing pain of the Father turning his face away. It was there where love defeats the wrath of God. 
the pain that it caused him to forgive. And you may be asking, well, why couldn't God just forgive? Why couldn't he just wave a magic wand and, you know, why did he have to go through all of this stuff? He did because he's holy. He could have. But because of God's holiness and his distaste, his anger towards sin and all that it brought, because of evil in the world, if there wasn't a part of wrath in, in the world, then would there really be any, any justice in the world? Even one day in the future, would there be any sense of justice in the world? The kindness and the severity that God is a God of love and it's on the cross that he overcomes his wrath towards sin. And he tells them for you to continue in kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Now, we don't have time to explore all the, what does Paul mean in that you too will be cut off. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He says that in Romans 8, that if you believe in Jesus, and he is Lord and Savior of your life, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But something throughout all of Paul's writings is this idea of, a saving faith is a continuing faith. 1 Corinthians speaks of this. Paul talks about in chapter 9 that, that I myself continue to run the race so that I will not too be disqualified. And even here, Paul is, is talking about, look, you have to continue to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Yes, nothing can take us from the love of God. Don't be so haughty that God can't take those who don't believe and bring them back into the fold. As I shared last week, God has not given up on the world, and we too are not to give up on others. Because God has this really amazing way of making beautiful things out of stuff that we least expected. That he takes people and he grafts them in with his story, or that it's no longer their story, but God's story. And if you know Jesus, you've been grafted into this story where your life is no longer about you, but about Jesus and what he's, your salvation is not what he is doing in the world. Your salvation is not for yourself. And that's what Paul is getting at. That one doesn't get a pass based upon their ethnicity. If you're Jewish, you don't get a pass because you're Jewish. No, Jesus is the only way. The people of God are those who believe in Jesus and thus the promises of Abraham are seen through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the church, and while Paul doesn't use that word in this context, is a continuation of Israel. It doesn't replace Israel. But it's the place where Jew and Gentile come together at the foot of the cross. see, Paul didn't want them to just to have a Gentile church that was exclusively for them. Just as he doesn't want us to just be a church full of saved peoples looking to our own interests. He says he's not done with those unbelieving Jews, but that one way will bring them back into the fold. 
Paul over and over and over again. It seems repetitive, but he doesn't want us to miss the point. He doesn't want us to miss the point that the gospel is a continuation and a fulfillment of salvation's history. He doesn't want you to miss that your salvation is not a divine right, but a divine responsibility. He doesn't want you to miss that there's no evil in the world that can thwart God's plan to bring salvation to the nations. He doesn't want you to miss on the fact that Jesus can either be a stumbling block or the cornerstone of your life. He doesn't want you to miss that salvation in Christ Jesus encompasses your entire self. We can't miss the fact that we are called to proclaim the gospel story. We can't miss the fact that it's by God's grace alone that he sustains and renews his church. And we can't miss the fact that God has not given up on the world. And this story, this salvation story, God is continuing in the world. In fact, he's not finished yet. But we as the people of God get to live as the people of God. To walk in the power and the light of the resurrection. I'm hopeful, church. Because God is in control. And he is weaving together a story bigger than any one of us. And we get to be part of it. And I believe now more than ever that, in fact, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come because of what Christ has done and his faithfulness of being connected to that root that for thousands of years has continued to sustain God's activity in the world. And it will culminate in his return where we all will experience the bodily resurrection. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. And we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word to us. God, I pray, Lord, that, that we will see that your story is beautiful. And that we get to be part of it. And that the work you are doing, Lord, is the work that you want to do in and through us for you. God, may we not miss the point. May we focus on you and all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name.